Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today is my great pleasure to welcome Luke Ruffing to the show. Welcome, Luke. Ah, Thanks so much for having me, Jeremy. Luke is an enterprise account executive at PandaDoc, and I'm sure you've heard of PandaDoc, but they are a document workflow automation platform for proposals, quotes, contracts, and more. I have to bring my A-game because he is also the host of the SalesCast podcast. Pretty awesome name that you got for that one there. But we're going to talk about a whole range of topics today, especially his super interesting background and the way that he found his way into enterprise sales, but also things that he's learned from guests of his own podcast that he's been able to apply to his job to be more effective in his role. And you know, to his credit, President's Club year after year after year there at PandaDoc. So congratulations on that. Ah, thank you so much. I always love to get to know guests a little bit. And most people have either picked up or rekindled a, a hobby during COVID. I'm curious, what, what have you been keeping busy with outside of selling more software? <laughs> well, I mean, software is probably the first thing, but uh, something else that's picked up recently is I've gotten back into competitive golf. So growing up around New England, I played a bunch of junior tournaments, one, probably five, 10, just around the local circuit, and then kind of quit golf for a couple of years. Moved to San Francisco, you break into tech, you don't have much free time. But over the last year or so, I was able to work remote again and got back into competitive golf. So I set a goal for myself to win three tournaments this summer. And so I invested in a strategy course online, doubled down on working out, et cetera, picked up 20 yards of distance on my drives. Anyways, you tally it all up at the end of the summer, ended up winning 10 different tournaments. Well, I'm actually curious, right? If, if you can improve so much in one domain, right? By, by a course. And obviously it's not just the course, it's the, it's the practice, it's the feedback, it's the drive and conviction. Do you think salespeople could improve their game in quota attainment through similar means through buying online courses and that sort of thing, as opposed to the traditional, right? They get on the job coaching, they, someone comes in and does a couple training days. You need to bring your A game every single day to sales. For each customer, this is their one experience with you. You need to be the best you can be. So if it's something that's a hobby, music, sports, golf, etc., you're probably going to work to improve on your own outside of what's just kind of given to you from a coaching perspective. I think there's so much out there, especially on LinkedIn alone, just different tactics you can pick up. If you're always looking to get better, there's ways to do it, but you have to be driven to pick it up and do it yourself. I actually did an analysis of this, of what was the educational background of people who become salespeople and and enterprise salespeople, well, the whole progression, right? SDRs into SMBAs, into enterprise salespeople. And I looked at what college they went to and whether that mattered, what degree they had, what, what, whether that mattered. And it turns out that college rank does not matter. Uh, degree only mattered for the very tiny handful of people in sales who have STEM degrees. It's rather rare. But there was a small subset of people who didn't go to college. Uh, and you fall into that category. Was that because you were playing, you were playing competitive golf at the time? Uh, that was probably just more because I hated schoolwork, <laughs> just being honest. <laughs> Yeah, just some of my background is I grew up being homeschooled, which is a little bit of a different perspective. And it's not like doing school at home. It was more of an unschooling method. Parents gave me a lot of freedom. What do you want to learn? What do you want to invest in? It's on you. You pick it up. And they're there to act as guides, but all the learning was driven around me. So I'm curious, is there 
any correlation between the actual degree and the sales job they get into? Or what would you find there, Jeremy? For this, no, it doesn't really matter what degree you had. The Again, where you went to school didn't matter either. A lot of the research that's out there, even beyond sales on educational background, where you went to school and what you studied and how you did matters for basically the first two to three years. But after the two to three year mark, things start to equalize. And once you get five to 10 years out, it really doesn't matter. It seems like just with the college degree, so many employers use that as kind of a gateway. Hey, did you actually sit down, do the work? Can you prove that you've done work? And that was the easiest way to define it. Maybe I did something a little bit different on my path. I don't know if you've heard of Discover Praxis, but that's kind of the apprenticeship model I took to get my first role in sales and tech. But rather than just saying, hey, I was able to sit in a classroom for four years, do work and get things delivered, I built a little bit of a portfolio. I built my own website. I did my own selling, basically entrepreneured my way into a business. Are those valuable skills you're looking for? You can teach me the hardware, but do I have the soft skills, the communication ability to do stuff with your hardware? I've noticed people who come from jobs that are much more of a grind tend to do better. And that's obvious, right? It's like, if you've been through hardship, then other things are easier. So, you know, you do this Praxis, Discover Praxis program where you you build up your your portfolio. How did you then get noticed by the folks over at PandaDoc? Yeah, so huge shout out to Jared Fuller. He's the VP of Partnerships over at Drift now, but he was the VP of Sales at PandaDoc. And so he wanted to run a little bit of a different experiment because he's got huge similar background as myself. He was a college dropout, but he got a couple of my peers, so Olivia Van Warmer, Reed Anderson in the door early on, and they basically proved out the Praxis model. They were paying him basically an hourly salary, and they absolutely crushed it the first month. And he's like, all right, I proved this out. We're going to go hire six more. And so he probably sought me out more than I was able to seek out them, but I got my chance and foot in the door, and I ended up moving from Maine out to San Francisco for my first real job just due to Praxis and basically having that in the apprenticeship program and the connections as a part of that. As you, prog- I'm curious as you progressed from role to role, some of the things you learned along the way. So, uh, do you remember a, a day or a moment as an SDR where where you sort of had an epiphany? <laughs> I think there were two early on. One is I was handling a couple inbound leads on the website, and I had a question, and my manager was busy doing something else, and I asked him again. It was probably the fifth time that day. And he's like, "At some point, you're going to have to figure this out for yourself." And this was like a weekend. I was like, uh, okay. Didn't ask him another question for two weeks. Drove in, figured it out, and took ownership of this is my job. This is my business. I have to run it. So that was probably the first epiphany. The second one is we had a big goal for the first quarter running an experimental outbound program. And we needed like 80 opportunities outbound. And I was the only person running this. So I got into a room with our other marketing person who was basically helping me source contacts. And I was like, how are we going to get here? Big, long hour meeting inside there, whiteboarding stuff out. Here's how we do it. And then at the end, I drew a big eight zero on the whiteboard and underlined it. That's the target. Come to the end of the quarter, we hit 94 opportunities created outbound. And they basically handed me a phone, an email through Sales Loft and said, go get it. So that was the two epiphanies I had. When you said experimental outbound, you, my eyebrows raised. What was the experiment? What was different about that versus other things that you had been doing in the past? Uh, that was as a company. We'd had so much inbound traffic, which has been lucky for Panadoc. 
we've been an inbound driven company that we were actually putting a program into place to do outbound. And I was kind of the test pilot for it. So we didn't have any metrics. We didn't have anything to base it off of. It's like, here's your target. Go figure it out. We want to see if this is viable. And there you go. It was. Well, to, to sing your praises, and I'm curious how you made this transition, right? So you you were an SDR for about a year and a half or so, and then like bang, the following happens. Rookie of the year, next year, 196% quota attainment, number one. Next year, number one rep again. Next year, you know, on path again. So, you know, that usually doesn't happen right off the bat when people become an account executive. What were you doing to achieve those results and what are you doing because you're still doing it uh this is one area just for any sdr who's frustrated or they've been in a role for a long time is you have such a huge advantage and there are basically two of them the first thing i had which was probably bigger movement than those who just go straight into an ae role is phone time i was logging hundreds of calls a day people think that the phone stops when you become an account executive. It's all about meetings, multi-threading, demoing. Nah, nah, nah. At the end of the day, sales is sales. And you need to be able to pick up the phone and get in touch with somebody to move things down the field and help them solve their problem. The second thing is who deals with more rejection than an SDR? You make 100 calls a day. You maybe get 10, 15 connections and you hope to book two or three meetings. MLB players have a much higher batting average. So you learn to deal with rejection and overcome and understand objections over the phone. So I think those are two big skills that have really helped separate and just accelerate my growth as a salesperson. Knowing how to use the phone and understanding objections and knowing how to leverage that to overcome them at the end of the sale. It's stuff you can't pick up unless you've been in the driver's seat as an SDR. So for anybody who's stuck there or feels stuck, be patient. If you drive through this, it will pay off in the end. Because you have a set of skills very few others do have. I think that's what's led to most of my success. Super tactically, folks are always trying to think about what's the best way to start a cold call. Do you have some point of view on that? Yeah, actually, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Justin Michael by chance. Of course, yes. I'm a big believer in what he teaches, the route, ruin, multiply phone script. This is just the most genius part of it is, are you talking to the right person or not? So for my opener, if I'm calling up Jeremy Donovan at SalesLoft, hey, Jeremy, who's the right person to talk to about sales and contracts? Uh, the right person would be Jamie Miller. Uh, Jamie Miller, he handles all your contracts? She actually, but she's the head of our RevOps team. Okay, excellent. Um, would you mind mention, if I mentioned that I talked to you and got your information from her? Uh, yeah, that's, that's all right. Excellent. Because yeah, now I'm figuring out just with that opener, Am I contacting the right person? And I figure out who is the right person. And I'll usually call top down. Do you just jump right in? Is like, I don't even think you said your name or your company. You, I think you just jumped right in and said, like, hey, Jeremy, who, who's responsible for contracts at your company? That's exactly it. It's funny. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So people put their guards up when they get a phone call. Hey, this is Luke Ruffin calling from Acme Corp. Eh, great, another cold call. Versus, hey, Jeremy, are you in charge of X? Oh, this is about me. Um, I might be, or I know who is. And it's just cutting all the fluff out of it and getting right to the point and understanding, all right, who's in charge of this? Because the reason salespeople cold call other than money is for the most part, they have a solution that can help the people they're targeting if they're doing a good job. 
So let's say you you know we're continuing that that was I guess the route part. Let's you know ring ring you call you call Jamie. How does that one go? Hey Jamie, um, just spoke with Jeremy. Um, who would be the right person to talk to about contracts in the sales team? Uh, that would be me. Excellent. Just want to give you a quick call, and you'll probably tell me none of this ever happens. But do you ever run into reps who are making errors on contracts? They get to the end of the sales cycle and prospects go dark. Sure, those things definitely happen. We have, you know, we have a CPQ process, but but yeah, those things happen. Oh, those things happen. Okay, which one happens the most? I guess it's it's the errors on contracts is is probably less common than than you know s- someone going dark at some point. Man, does that ever cost you revenue? Surely. Okay, might be a crazy idea, but would you like to see how outreach was able to switch off their CPQ system? and multiply the value and actually close a couple extra deals just from getting some insight on the contracts. Um, I got some time next Tuesday at three o'clock if you're open. Yeah. So I, I love the reference to the competitor, right? Is stokes the stokes the interest for sure. I think that's super, super clever. Got it. Got it. So yeah, that's it's a effective, a very effective approach. And I really like the skipping right to the are you in charge piece. I, I learned a lot from that. What one thing is people learn how to open the door, right? Which we just talked about. But I'll often hear sales leaders lament a, a rep who didn't work out, and they'll use an expression they couldn't close a door. What do you think it is that you know when you, when you've looked at people who weren't successful, what were they not doing, and how would you help people close a door who don't know how? This might be a little bit too generalized, but do you feel like we live in a permission based world? I think we do, right? In virtual life digital life and in real life. Absolutely. I think it even goes back to schooling and maybe this is just the different perspective I have, but having to ask permission, can I go to the bathroom? Can I do this? Can I do that? Things sales leaders lament is people who can't close a door is they're scared to ask. There's nothing wrong with asking. Who's in charge? Is this a problem for you? Who would be the right person to talk to? Would you be willing to sign with us? People are scared to ask because they're scared to get rejected. And if you're scared to get rejected, I don't know if sales is quite right for you. Sales leaders who are lamenting people who can't close or couldn't get the door slammed, it's probably because they weren't empowered to ask questions. I'm a big believer in question-based selling. And just ask. The worst thing you're going to hear is no. And actually, that might be the best thing you hear because then you can start to understand why it's a no. Oh, we didn't build enough value yet. Oh, we didn't hit on the right pain point. There are questions that you can ask that actually uncover the real objections versus the fake ones they're putting up. A lot of times in a deal, yes, you do have to push to move the deal forward, but there's also a component of not being too pushy because if you ask constantly, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Then you're going to scare the prospect off. Each time you moved, right? So when you move for SDR to AE, you get a new territory. And then certainly I would assume when you move from account executive, SMB, mid-market into enterprise, you have new territory it's almost a restart. How, how have you handled that, that total restart as you've moved up into different roles in the organization? Prospect, 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 prospect some more. So even, right, even as you progress, and this is a, a question that often comes up, right, is should enterprise AEs be prospecting outside of through warm referrals, partners, and so on? Should, should you cold prospect or should you rely exclusively on your SDR to prospect for you. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen this as a sales leader or talked to other sales leaders, but has anybody ever complained about having too much pipeline? Never, ever. (laughs) I didn't have to hesitate on that one. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, 
something. I saw this one a while ago on LinkedIn. I can't remember what it was, but it was make sure you have more people to meet with than you have time to meet with them. So if you have a full pipeline, that solves a lot of issues because then you can detach from the outcome. You can pull Sandler things. And it's only once you fully detach from a deal does it have a chance of coming in. You're going to sit there and pressure it and focus on Infestor. Probably not going to close. But as soon as you're willing to let go, magical things happen. I've seen it time and again, not just with me, but with Patrick Downs, the rest of our team over here. You got to be willing to let it go. And the only way to do that is to have enough pipeline to be confident to let it go. Yeah, I made a I made a purchase this past week. I was definitely more anxious than the rep was, right? So <laughs> I came in inbound to them on 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 a Friday. I was pretty much ready to buy. And they they did a great job, right? Like they not only did disco, but they demoed me on the on the first call, which I thought was really smart, and then they gave me best practices for how I would benefit from their solution as well, so it wasn't just an interrogation. And I figured like I'd get some pricing leverage because it was end of month. You know, I, I actually continued text conversation with the rep over the weekend and and she was like cool as a cucumber. She didn't need, you know, whether she needed she might have needed the deal, I don't know, but she didn't seem to. And she maintained price integrity because, right? She she could tell I was I was more anxious to buy than she was to sell. Yeah. Do you feel like the rep had more leverage in that negotiation? For sure she had more leverage great product, great buying experience. Those things made me willing to, you know, not only I, I did something I've almost never done, which is I, I always when I'm purchasing, especially something that's, you know, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars for, you know, for a company, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? I'm whittling down a list down to two. And then the two, I, I would go with either one. I, I just want them to be within about 15% price difference between each other, but like I will aggressively negotiate and uh, none of that happened. <laughs> all, all discipline went to the window. Oh, that's excellent. Actually, I'm curious. Were you upset that they did a short discovery, demoed, and actually met your needs as an inbound customer rather than the interrogation? Quite the opposite, right? So refreshed that they did all that. In fact, I had a, another one, the, the prior thing I went inbound on and was interested in. On the call, they interrogated me for you know 30 minutes, no time to wrap up, and I had a hard stop. And I actually just emailed the rep after that call and said, basically, we're done. I'm not interested in doing business with you. Did it feel like the rep did any research before the call? In the case of the the successful one, yes, they did. They knew who we were, right? They knew who I was. If I can share one small tactic, and this is for AEs, SDRs, whomever, spend five minutes on their LinkedIn profile before you jump on the Zoom meeting. Show that you're prepared, open up with a line. I worked with this guy over at Gravy, I think it was, and he's a big fan of M&Ms. It's just in his headline. So when he jumped on the meeting, I held up a big old package of M&Ms. I'm like, I'm fine, but I'm all out of M&Ms. What am I going to do? And he just lost it. He's like, okay, you're prepared. Loosen him up a little bit. And we could get to the part of solving the problem that he actually had versus like, I just kind of need some e-signature. No, why do you need e-signature? Allow me to get into the weeds faster on what his actual problem was. Disco, demo, proposal out. Make the buying process easy. How far, it's interesting that the, I love the example you use, which is common interest with almost a twinge of humor. The alternative would be pure flattery, right? If someone won some award or what, what, whatever it happened to be, like wh- where, do you think there is a line? Do you, I, I would assume the answer is yes, that you don't want to get too into the flattery zone. Keep it short, keep it lighthearted. Meeting with salespeople, and I'm sure you can attest to this, is probably like getting a root canal. 
it's just long, tedious, and painful. They're going to put you through the pain funnel. Make it an enjoyable experience. If you can't be good, at least be memorable. So he'll always remember the M&Ms and that feeling, whereas the other guy might have had a better solution, a better demo, but he just stuck to the Sandler script or the pain funnel, et cetera. Give him a reason to remember you at least. Well, I wanted to transition to one one last thing, and we can do this briefly. I love talking to folks who also do podcasts and, and you're like the perfect storm of a salesperson who has a podcast so that you can immediately apply lessons that you learned. What are one or two lessons that you learned from guests that you think our listeners could benefit from? A big one was from Ryan Walsh over at RepView. He went through the same gambit, SDR to AE to sales manager, director, VP, CRO, founder. And I'm sure we've all been critical of managers and people above us. He just gave me the insight, like, look, they're people too. They're trying to do their job. Cut them a little bit of slack. Put yourself in their shoes for a minute. What is the manager thinking about? What's important to them? And that changed my whole perspective. Because it's like, I'm not just updating my forecast for me or for manager to present to C-level. This is what he needs to report on to do his job well. So that way he understands where he can help and enable me to sell more. Let's put ourselves in his shoes for a second. That was a big one I got from Ryan. I love that. And there's a subtext there, which is, and I've noticed this amongst people who are, you know, successful in organizations, that there's a spectrum of people who are almost inauthentically positive. And then the opposite, I call them Eeyores, no matter what job they do, no matter where they work, they always find the cloud and not the silver lining. <laughs> I think people who are successful, and a little bit of that is, is core psychology. I mean, it's not something people can easily adjust. But I think you do get yourself into a rhythm of positivity, and uh, which is super healthy. And, and the earlier you are in your career, I think just sort of having that, look, I'm never going to talk behind people's backs. The grass is always a little bit not green, right? If I focus on the rough patches, I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to make the people around myself around me miserable. And I'm not, and coincidentally, I'm not going to be successful. But I think if you maintain positivity, as you, as you were talking to with about Ryan. I think that's incredibly important. And yeah, your perspective on on leadership that they're people too. If you were in their position, just know that people are gonna would be grousing and complaining about you. So just do unto others as you'd have done unto you. That's exactly it. And you mentioned the EOR side of things. Do you ever want to hang out with somebody who's miserable? You're like, oh, I have to meet with this person who's miserable. No, you want to avoid those people. Exactly. And the same thing comes across with prospects. If you're stressed out, if you're miserable. If you're just going after the paycheck, they can smell commission breath. Be enjoyable, be genuinely curious, and see if you can help them solve a problem. If you can solve the problem better than the other guys, they're probably going to pick you. There's a book from very long time ago, and I'm sure it's very dated. I think it was called like The Energy Bus or Getting on the Energy Bus. And it talks about people who are, I think one of them was like energy vampires. That was the negative one. That was the Eeyore. And then I forgot what the other the other side was, but basically people that you interact with that that make you feel more alive, and to the extent you can you can be that person who makes others feel more alive, including your prospects. I think that's critical, and it, it speaks to your thing about doing that five minutes of research, right? If if you show people that you care about them, that helps them feel alive and valued and important. Yep, you can be the smartest guy in the room, but they don't care you're the smartest guy in the room until you show them that you care about them. And there's a reason you can help them or a way you can help them. Great thought to end on. 
Luke, it was such a pleasure having you on today. If people do want to learn more about you, learn more about PandaDoc, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, best way to do more research on PandaDoc is uh, to go to our website, pandadoc.com. And we also have this customer engagement podcast, which is completely different than any other business podcast. Well, it's a loose term. It's not a business podcast. Um, you can go look that one up. And if you want to get in touch with me, look me up on LinkedIn, Luke Ruffing, um, or go to salescast.com. And you'll find all our episodes there with uh, some people like Josh Braun, Ryan Walsh, Patrick Joyce. Great resource there. Well, thanks for giving me a, a couple of podcasts to, to, fill my, to fill my time. I appreciate it. Thanks again. Absolutely, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.